This is the Women Emerging Expedition Podcast, so you can follow the ups and downs and the roundabouts of the expedition and play your part in them. 24 women started on the 28th of May 2022 on this virtual expedition that will take nine months. We are women from across the world determined to find an approach to leadership that resonates with women. We'll be successful so that women the world over will be able to say, if that's leadership, I'm in. Welcome, 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 Julie Middleton, Expedition Leader. Last week, we had a fascinating episode all about movements, leadership of movements, and both Latanya and Helena were completely fascinating. This week, we're going to go deep into two elements that, that Latanya briefly spoke about and, and trying to get a bit of detail on them, but with Melissa and with Uma this time. The two things we're going to go deep onto is firstly, Melissa talking about storytelling and what exactly she means by storytelling. And then Uma about how to set the pace of a movement. So first, Melissa. Melissa, of course, talks about storytelling. It sounds so simple, but it, of course, isn't simple at all. It's all the, the, the issue of narrative changing that that movements involve and let me let melissa explain it to you she's fascinating i've had the opportunity to really see and learn first um as a as an academic and then as somebody in the nonprofit sector for more than 30 years how important narrative is the stories that we tell and the truth that lives in stories being so much more powerful than the truth that lives in facts. And so if I think about the movements that I've been involved in supporting as a nonprofit leader over the years that my organization, Rockefeller Philanthropy Advisors, incubates now, so many of the ones that are truly effective are about narrative change. Really, in order to make a movement successful, and even before you can actually fight the fight that creates the victory at the end of the movement building, you have to change the terms of the narrative. You have to help people understand who are the protagonists? What is their story? Why should I have empathy with them? What can I resonate with that connects to my own life that helps me understand their life? And those kinds of approaches are so much more powerful than just standing alone and cursing the tide. And they are so much more suited to how women in, interact in the world and how women view the world. So I am a big, big proponent of narrative change as a critical feature of women's leadership and as an opportunity to build successful movements that might bring about change with less fighting. And if I want to be a, a leader who can tell the story and therefore create the narrative, yes. what do I need to do to become that kind of leader? So the best storytellers are always the best listeners. In the oral tradition, 
people who were storytellers learned their stories from listening to others because nothing was written down. And they did not see themselves as the creators of the story. They considered themselves to be the vessels of a story that belonged to everybody. And having that point of view helps you as a leader manage internally and listen to the voices of the people in your organization. It helps you listen to the voices of the people outside your organization that you have the privilege of representing. And it gives you a kind of authenticity that becomes extremely powerful. And I'm assuming that you believe that listening is a very active verb, not a passive thing. Listening is an extremely active and in fact, exhausting practice to truly listen to people and to truly try and understand what the subtext is, what the context is that they're coming from, what it is they want you to hear, how they are hoping you will react, how you can inquire of them, um, what their journey has been so that you can truly understand their narrative. That's a lot, a lot of emotional labor. And that's something that has to be practiced um, and that people also need to be able to step back and take a refreshing break from every now and then so they don't get burned out. So if step one is to be a good listener, step two is to be a good storyteller. Step two is to be able to understand how your imagined or potential or actual audience thinks about this issue and how to tell the story in a way that will resonate with them. So you can be a wonderful storyteller for yourself and for people who think like you, but you would be a terrible storyteller for people whom you're trying to persuade. So you have to have what, what uh, John Keats called negative capability to understand not just how you would tell the story and how you see the story, but how to tell the story for somebody else. It's physical and it's visceral. You know, we often talk about the head and the heart, but the gut and gut reactions and gut feelings, which are the combination of our heads and our hearts uh, in a very real way in our full body, um, the more we know about the microbiome, the more we really understand what it means to have a gut reaction to something and how important that is. That's part of where this comes from. So that's step two. Step three is, if, I, if I'm going back in, in a way to, your, to the movements and the leaders of those movements, yes. it must also be to get, I can't think of a better word, but the tone right. I would say that if you are telling your story in a way that is sensitive to how your listeners see the world now, then you will be getting the tone right. I would say that step three would be to turn those listeners into storytellers. You mean the people who are listening to you, that, that they tell your stories to many others? Yes, and I think it's also important not to so much think about it as my story, but our story. Yeah. You don't own, you are the, you are telling the story, but you don't own it. 
Tell me a bit more about the elegance of some of the people you've seen doing it. So I would say that one of the people, um, one of the young women leaders in this narrative change movement that I think really highly of is Aliyama Matthew, who leads the Collective Future Fund, which is about ending violence toward women, um, children, and, and domestic violence situations generally. And she is able to take a topic that makes many people deeply uncomfortable. If they've experienced it, 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 it's a trauma to think about it. If they haven't experienced it, it's something that they view with horror. And she is able to find ways to connect things that have to do with back forces that people are comfortable with, being fair, being kind, being able to have your voice heard, uh, being able to have a seat around the table. She's able to find ways to tell these stories that don't put people in a situation in which they are either reliving their trauma or being asked to feel guilty about other people's trauma. And that's a very important gift because that allows her to enroll people in being able to then talk about it in a way that's comfortable for them. So therefore communication comes right at the top of what, what you look for in a leader of a movement. Yeah, I, I would say so, although the some of the traditional definitions of communication which are very hierarchy based. I have information that I am transmitting to you, right? If you think about that, that's a very hierarchical um, uh, uh, way of talking about it. And that's why I think it's much better to talk about storytelling and narrative. And, and that, because that is a communal activity. The storyteller traditionally is telling a story that belongs to the community, not to the storyteller. The same thing is true of a folk singer. They're, tell, they're singing a song which is not theirs. They may be interpreting it somewhat differently and they may be changing it a little bit because of who they're singing to, but it's not theirs, it's ours. Not far from that skill, but one that I admire is, is you know, you sometimes go into a room with a leader who's trying to get, I don't know, maybe it's an NGO that's got masses of stakeholders and they're all, they've all arrived with their own interpretations, their own views, their own angles on just about everything. And, and somehow the leader comes in and they find, and you sit there thinking, how are they gonna make this into anything that's coherent so that people, and, and somehow they, they wait, they listen, they keep on testing when to say something 
And then they come in at this extraordinary moment and to your amazement, everybody in the room who have appeared to be disagreeing start nodding. Yes, because they have, they have listened to what other people are saying. They have probably done some homework about those people before they even came into the room. They have listened to what they're saying in that moment. They have been able to find the common thread and the common language that will resonate with different people. Or sometimes they haven't actually found, let's be honest, the common thread, because there isn't a common thread. But somehow they find a thread that people will go with. Yes. And whether you call that a common thread or something else, sure. Absolutely. They are absolutely what you honed down on. on I'm going to back this movement for that. Yes. yes. The people who see themselves not so much as I have my message. And there are people who have that and that's very valuable and that's a different thing. The solo contributor, the icon like that, the individual artist, all of those things are important. But for movements and, and changing hearts and minds, it's somebody who is able not just to talk about what I think, but to talk about what we think and what we can do. And who is, as the, it's the title of a, a book from the early 20th century, The Singer of Tales, the person who is able to adroitly share what is the co-creation of many other people. So it is a much less, it's a much less ego-driven form of leadership than the kind of uh, traditional entrepreneurial CEO with a vision, Steve Jobs-like model of leadership. And it's not that those kinds of individuals don't contribute important and valuable things to our world, right? We, we need the people who are actually not listening to anybody because they legitimately have their own idea and way of, and et cetera, et cetera. But that's, a very, that's one way that change happens. But another way that change happens that over time is much more important for equity and justice is how movements happen. And how often have you met these kind of leaders? I would say I meet them increasingly now as the nonprofit sector and, and some of the major funders of the nonprofit sector are recognizing that the technocratic approach that was so popular for the first two decades of this millennium really just stays at the surface um, and it gives you measurable results, but it doesn't really change anything. So you keep needing to solve the same problem over and over and over and over again, right? So as people begin to think more about changing systems 
and they begin to look at the so-called iceberg model of systems change, where what you see above the waterline is the tip of the iceberg, and at the very bottom of the iceberg are the mental models and um, assumptions that we carry around with us, some of which we're able to recognize and some of which are just impossible to recognize. That's where long-term sustainable change has to happen. So there's a lot more attention now to systems change, and that includes narrative change. Hey, who better than Melissa to push back on the technocratic model and make the case for movement leaders who don't just produce KPIs, but narrative change. Thank you so much, Melissa. But actually, wait a minute. Before we thank Melissa and move on, just one last question, Melissa. How do you make sure that your stories really resonate with your audience? What's the trick? Read the fairy tales. Read the fairy tales of your own culture. Go on. Because those, your, those fairy tales, folk tales, legends, they hold truths that your culture holds dear. And if you understand those truths, then you begin to understand a lot about the people whom you are hoping to jo have join your movement. So read those stories and not just the old ones, but the new ones. You know, what's the story of the biggest TikTok stars? What does their story tell you? What's the story behind the songs that are the most popular right now and the musicians who are singing them? What is it that makes them so powerful? Melissa, so stories old and new, well-made point. Nuggets everywhere from you, Melissa. So thank you very, 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 very much. And particularly for all of us who dream of leading movements. Now we move on to Uma, who has driven one of the most exciting movements I've ever come across. Um, and we're going to quiz her on why she loves doing it, but most importantly, how she judges as a leader the pace of the movement. And to my mind, it's almost the most important thing that a leader of a movement does, judging the pace. But just, just, just enjoy, Uma. Just Enjoy the joy of Uma. There is a movement you've been a leader of for many, many years. Why yeah. are you so passionate about it? You know, the word movement itself is a very passionate uh, word. It means to create action. It means to go from one place to another place. So um, I think I'm a doer. I love action. I love thinking, but I love uh, dreaming and then bringing it into action. So I think I uh, movements uh, embody all of all of the things that um, I believe in, and movement is about sustaining action. You know, I'm also I, I run organizations, but you know, the organizations is the is an act of sustaining order, whereas movement is an act of sustaining action. So um, th that sustains me in itself, the word in itself. 
The other um, thing that I think, uh, uh, Julia, why movements inspire me and why I decided to, um, you know, keep at movement building is because, you know, movements are, uh, in movements, the accountability is to a cause which is greater than any one individual. And if, if the movement is successful, things change for everyone. Uh, there are sweeping changes there you know there are incremental as well as sweeping changes but it's not restricted uh, to what an organization accomplishes for itself or uh, priority is not organizational sustainability it is more about collective change there's you know dreams coming true for billions of people so yeah i'm sure the movements you've done they can't keep up the same pace all the time can they so in a way the leader has to has to judge the pace. It's almost the most important thing that the leader does is, is judging the pace. Would you agree? Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Very well put. It is, it is actually a lot about uh, pace. Uh, you know, I, I often uh, give this analogy of the pace of a movement and uh, pacing is all about, you know, movements are all about pacing. And just like when, when we're doing exercise, when we are exercising, and pacing is all about how well our body can distribute its energy throughout an entire run or a marathon. The main premise is that, you know, you preserve enough energy uh, for your entire workout or the exercise regime, regime uh, which is very, very important for long distance running or shorter sprints. So it's exactly like that. What do you watch for that says to you, I've got to slow the pace of the movement down? Two or three things that come to mind. One, when the, you know, movements always have a flow of energy. There's always energy while when. So when the energy is, becomes char, uh, uh, charged negatively, there is a rupture you know, a, a split or a break or a tear in the in the, the fabric of the movement. And that's, that's something you can feel the rupture. So that's something I know that this calls for a pause. Something is broken. Something has ruptured. And not attending to the rupture, very, very high stakes. It can, it can uh, completely uh, uh, you know, completely destroy the the movement. The other the other thing is when I when there is a fogging in the purpose. Nothing precedes purpose in a movement. Nothing. So if the mission or the purpose is suddenly unclear, or there is a distraction. A drift. Or whatever. A drift, yes, yes. Or there is a there is some kind of a plateau that is happening. And people from everywhere in the, you know, people are not being able to answer the question, why do we exist? Or why are we in this moment? That's a red flag. Hard thing, Julia, is about power dynamic. The when uh, uh, when I, as a leader, I am sensing that there, there are certain barriers in building power, in demonstrating power, 
and in undermining the power of the opponent because in the movement i'm also i know there is an opponent you know i'm, I'm fighting someone so when i am and it is a power game it is going to be a movement of shift in power so a hint when I am getting when there, that there are barriers, there are obstacles in the, the collective not being able to build its power or demonstrate its power or undermine the power of the opponent. And the power is not shifting. Then I know it's time to regroup, re-strategize. So these would be the three things, I think, um, which would be red flags for me. And going back to the drawing board and or re-huddling basically um, and starting with the self-reflection, with the collective reflection, with the Jenga storytelling, all of that needs to be back. What are the indicators when you know you've got to speed it up and really speed it up? You know, um, there are indicators of an enabling environment in any movement and when that environment is there you know it's the last I mean you can sprint at that point of time so some of these indicators of that enabling empowering environment there is courage there is shared courage to challenge the status quo that's that's palpable I can see it there is an openness to learning, unlearning, new ways of thinking and working. There is an ability and an agility to respond to emergence. Movements are about, you know, there are, like I said, Julia, it's about action. So there's so much of emergence. Things are happening every minute, every hour, every day. So if you see that there is an ability to observe and respond to emergence, and there is a lightness of play, imagination, curiosity, fun. I mean, fun as in, uh, when I say fun here, it's about play, of coming together and playing together collectively. So if these indicators, it's something I'm seeing in the movement, in the, in the, in the collective, I know it's all lined up. There is no question about slowing down. That's the relay is absolutely on its way People have the courage, people have the openness, people are challenging, they are playing, they are imagining about the new, the new world, there is curiosity. I mean, I know I'm, I'm, you can see how I am talking about this. It's, uh, it's magic. And, then, and you know the environment is very, very enabling and empowering. There is no need to slow down. You and know suddenly, you it becomes, suddenly it becomes easy. It's just so easy. You start breathing in sync. You start singing in synergy. You start playing. Just, just everything comes. Like I said, it all falls in line. And dude, everybody is sprinting. Everybody is running. Is it ever you that um, slows things down? Do you, I suppose, do you ever get frightened? Do you ever get frightened yourself? And, and realize that it's you that might be slowing things down? Honestly, you know, Julia, this has happened to me when something, while I'm leading a movement, something has happened in the external ecosystem that um, triggers fear in me as a leader. 
And uh, the fear at that point of time about, you know, how are we going to survive this? How are we going to keep the movement alive? It, it has frozen me for, a, you know, uh, it, and, and, um, and that's when, when I get uh, vulnerable and I fear something and I'm, I'm not very sure, uh, I'm feeling a little fogged out, you know, there's, and um, that has happened as a leader, that has also happened. And then, then I ask myself, what is the most important thing here? What do I want here to happen? What is the price of doing something like this or not going for it? Uh, what is it that is going to advance our interests? Um, that's one thing I do. I start asking myself a few questions about this. My, you know, the response, my, my, my reflex is sometimes to withdraw. And that's when, you know, I lean into my habit of saying, this is not the time to withdraw or disengage. I am scared. I need to now engage. I need to listen to others their frame of reference, not see it from mine. And I don't need to uh, look at what's right or wrong. I don't need to look at winning and losing. I need to look at transformation. So listening to others at that point of time has also drawn me out. Um, you know, engagement and connection has drawn me out of my frozenness. That has also happened. Having said that, at these moments, actually, Julia, I have seen that uh, movements are usually built on things that we want to dismantle. Uh, things, you know, power uh, plays that we want to, uh, power shifts that we want to happen. We want, I, I wish that it happens. So usually movements are based on, social and uh, human rights movements are usually based on that. And when, when things are not going the way uh, one has dreamed of it or envisaged it, um, we need to be laser focused actually about what are we trying to create together than about attempting to, what are we trying to dismantle? What are the, uh, what are the things we are fighting against? I mean, I, I know it's it's ironic because movements are based on that. Movements get triggered because we're trying to shift and change and transform. But when things are stuck or frozen or it's towards the end and it's the last leg, I think for me what has worked is when I have been laser focused about what is it that we all love and what is it that we are trying to create together rather than what is it that we are attempting to dismantle. I don't know. It's just, we've started from what is it that we want to break, but towards the end, when, the, when it's the last lap, for me, what has worked is what is it that I, I'm here for? What is it that we are creating and loving? And that allows you to sprint to the end. Yes. That last leg, that last stretch. Uh, it has often happened to me because of um, arousal from evocation rather than an arousal from provocation and challenge that I have started it, started something on. Have you ever sensed that actually 
almost you're being played. It's not you who's, as the leader, who's setting the pace for this movement, that you're actually letting some other force almost set the pace. Yes, in both positive and negative ways. <laughs> so when this happens and when you see there's a surge of energy and there, there have been moments when you suddenly um, realize that you are not the person in control. And it is suddenly taken over by a few others. And it, it brings a sense of joy. I have had that feeling. So when I was, when I've, I've led movements with survivors of trafficking, and there have been certain campaigns, it, was, it has just been taken over by them suddenly because of a surge of energy. And I know I have been shifted to the back seat and I have somehow been able to pass the mic and it has felt, I cannot even tell you how overjoyed I have felt. It, it, it wasn't planned and it happened. I have also experienced manipulation when you say being played and there has been, uh, someone has tried to manipulate and uh, they, you know, there, has, there are emotional narratives in that moment that has hijacked and sabotaged the the uh, control from my from you know from my hands or from where I was leading, and uh, there are signs actually. And I have it, it. It wasn't there in the beginning, but with experience, I have learned to um, identify those signs that when I am being played and I have been manipulated, and that's when I ask myself, so why is this happening? Where is the disconnect? Uh, what is the power play about? Uh, why is it, uh, uh, you know, so why am I getting uh, destabilized or um, uh, feeling exposed and um, or even disempowered? You know, I, I, the, like, that power play has left me disempowered, feeling disempowered and helpless. You know, to be able to uh, be in touch with myself and that self-awareness of, okay, I'm being played now. Um, a drama has been created and I have been pushed into the middle of all of it. And, and yeah, I, I have I've realized that the pace, uh, the, uh, the road, the roadmap, the compass, everything has suddenly, suddenly shifted. I have experienced this. Uma, what's it feel like when you get it right? When you get the pace right? When you get the pace right? You're lining up what you desire, what you believe, and what you do. And that's magic. Have you ever felt it? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. It's a, that magic is rooted in care. It is rooted in accountability. It is rooted in non-hierarchical, empowered ways of working. Uh, it is, it's a flow of, uh, energy and animation it all lines up so you need to get your base right I have felt it I have experienced it I have been so fortunate to be uh, part of those celebrations when 
our desires, our beliefs and convictions and our actions have lined up together. I have been in that room and it's, I get goosebumps every time I uh, speak about this. It's, it's magical and leaders who lead movements, who have seen this happening, I'm sure all across the world who will be listening to this, they will, they will, it will take you back to, it's a sensory experience. It's a heady experience and it's such a humbling experience. Uh, so yes, it's important because when you get it right, you really get it right. Omar, I want to be in that room with you. And I want to share the goosebumps. There are too many leadership learning points to go back over this. Just, you just gotta, the listeners are just going to have to listen to that one again and again and again. So I take, but, but what do I take mostly from myself? I think Melissa's point about listening to the fairy tales and the songs and what they reveal about what people are yearning for or wistful about or dreaming of and maybe not just listening to the fairy stories and the songs of your own culture but crucially all the many other cultures that you come across and then Uma of the many many things that you said Uma when we spoke I suppose I take mostly how you spoke the joy that, I mean, Uma, you are dealing one with one of the most frightening issues in the world, and yet you do it with joy, and and I could feel that in every word you spoke. So, I suppose um, all the things you said were really good, but it's how you said them that I won't forget. So, thank you very, very much. Just before I go, don't forget next week is our next live. Remember Expedition Live every three weeks. I and one of the members of the expedition, in this case, it's Andini Makatinsky, who is an inventor, um, a young inventor, um, recently in Forbes 30 Under 30. She's an extraordinary member of the expedition. We both will um, look at all your issues, look at all your questions, answer them when we can, have some fun. It's on Wednesday the 19th of October at 4pm UK time on Instagram Live. Do, do, do join us. I think it'll be fun. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We would love you to follow the expedition and provide your own stories and perspectives. You can do this by subscribing to this podcast and joining the Women Emerging Group on LinkedIn, where you can have your say.